Lab here. You know, Owen County, just northwest of Monroe County in Bloomington, is the quintessential example of flyover country. It's filled mainly with forests and farms. It's a safe bet. Vanishingly few people jetting above it on their way from New York to LA, or vice versa, even know it exists. Yet its biggest town, Spencer, population 2200, is home to surprisingly diverse cultures and lifestyles, even though the entire county is 98% white. Now, my guest this week is a fellow who came from New York City and settled in Bloomington with his wife in 2017. Mitch Teplitsky, welcome to Big Talk. Thank you, Mike. Now, Mitch is a documentary film producer and director, and he's working on a project about Owen County. Mitch... What's it all about? <laughs> well, uh, we're still in the midst of exploring what is it about. <laughs> but what first attracted me to this place was uh, about a year after I moved to Bloomington, my wife and I were taking drives outside of Bloomington to explore the region. And we stumbled upon this town. We went into the square and I first noticed this beautiful apparently restored Art Deco movie theater, you know, the Tivoli. Hmm. And I thought, wow, that's cool. And then we turned the corner and I saw a flag, a rainbow flag, and I saw it was the, the Spencer Pride Community Center. That, which would shock most people <laughs> that, that there is a huge pride thing that goes on every year in Spencer. Yes, and when I first um, saw that, I s remember saying to myself, what is that doing here? I remember saying that to my wife. <laughs> you were shocked. Like, what's it doing here? And I couldn't help myself because, you know, that's what you and I, people who are storytellers and journalists and filmmakers do, we're curious, right? We want or to know nosy. more. Or nosy, yes. <laughs> even I'm trying to be, sound professional here. I walked in. First of all, it was a beautiful big space with all kinds of local art and, and artisan goods for sale. And there were a couple of people in the place, um, and I started to talk with them. And I, you know, I assumed that they would be, let's say, members of the community. Um, and it turned out the person I first talked to was the volunteer, who was like a good old who's your dad, whose son was a member of the community. And we must have talked for about an hour and he told me the story of this place. And, and I just was really struck by it. And then I learned quickly that, as you said, every fall they had a, a massive pride fest, six or 7,000 people pouring into the town from all over to celebrate. Right from that very first day, I thought, wow, this is a kind of interesting place that might defy some stereotypes of what a small rural southern indiana town is like it might it might <laughs> but over the next couple of years you know in a very organic way i started becoming friends with people who were from there or had moved there and i started visiting the town just to visit my friends um the breedens bill and glenda breeden a lot of people here know 
uh, and Jamie Sweeney, who of course you know because she's been a guest. Juniper Gallery. Juniper Gallery. So I just found myself, you know, regularly visiting this lovely town, but a town that also had some really, really interesting, nice people who were living really interesting, somewhat nonconformist lifestyles. And when I started to see and, and learn and hear is that for the most part, people told me that, you know, people got along with each other in that place. There were conservative people, there were liberal people, there were people who, you know, worked desk jobs, and there were people who were farmers. Uh, there were older people, younger people, people who grew up there, people who moved there. Uh, but for the most part, it seemed like a place where people got along. And of course, this is at a time when we were already having all these growing conversations and awareness that the country is getting increasingly divided and yeah. we're all going to... We're all supposed to hate each other. We're all supposed to hate each other. But besides that, I started to learn more about the history of the town and I learned that, you know, um, not too long ago, maybe 10 or 15 years ago, the town was um, not in great shape, the square. People often described it in terms of color, I would often hear people describe the square as gray. Yeah, right, right. It was grim. Yeah, yeah. Boarded up. The beautiful Tivoli movie theater was boarded up. It had been victimized by a fire. And yet it has been revitalized. Not completely and not without problems, but the town is in better shape than it was a few years ago. And I also was curious to understand how that happened. So kind of fast forward to the fall of 2021. I um, returned to New York City um, as I did two or three times a year and I met up with um, a longtime friend, mentor and backer of my previous documentaries, Peter Gould is his name, or was his name, because he actually passed away not long ago. I'll get to that. And Peter and you, I... You got, me, uh, you got me hyped over there for a minute. I thought that was the guy from Breaking Bad. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I know. When you Google his name, yeah, right. it's not that Peter Gould. This Peter Gould was a very discreet gentleman, uh, kind of an old world type who was a lawyer and actually a, a partner in a very kind of old-school law firm, an entertainment law firm that was the in-house law firm for Condé Nast. Uh-huh. We met more than 20 years ago in a men's group. We sat in a men's group together for a few years, so I got to know him quite well. And Peter took a liking to me and my... Um, my interest 20 years ago to start making documentary films, which took me to Peru where I made my first documentary film. Without him, I don't think I would have been producing documentary films. We needed financial support. He was one of the first in any project. Last fall, when I went back to see him, he had been retired and his health wasn't great. He was telling me when I met him how concerned he was that in his own words, the country was falling apart, the country was going to hell. And I said, yeah, I share a lot of that anxiety, but you know, in Indiana, where I moved a few years ago, when I look around me, I meet and I see a lot of people doing a lot of 
innovative and hopeful things, you know, both in Bloomington and even outside of Bloomington, like this town of Spencer. And I would start telling him about Spencer. So he was very interested, but he was always intrigued about my life in Indiana because like most people in New York City and in the coast, they had no clue what it was like. May as well be India. Exactly. Yeah. Even to this day, my relatives, I don't think they still even realize where I live. They'll, they'll like, Are you, did you move to Ohio? Or, And I started telling them about Spencer. And I said, you know, this town in Spencer is interesting because um, it seems to be getting better. And the people that I meet there seem to um, be pretty hopeful about the future of the place and the future of the country. Not without struggle. Mm-hmm. They're positive. And they're doing some cool things. There's new businesses on the square. People are moving there. And I remember he said to me very, very clearly, he said, you know, if you could do a story about ordinary Americans doing hopeful things, I'd be really interested in investing in that story. Oh, boy. That, that was any, the, any kind of an artist wants to hear that. <laughs> oh, yes. I understood him very well to mean, you know, you can come back to me with... A proposal. I'd like to do another film together. I said to him, great, I'm going to go back to Indiana. And um, I have a pretty confident idea that we're on to something. But I don't know specifically what story or characters or scope or budget. I need to come back to you with some more specifics. But you've planted a seed. And this is the way we've always worked. Well, yeah, there, there's there's a story about one of your documentaries. I think it was dealing with the uh, the dreamers. And let's see, the name of that was New American Girls. That was a web series you produced for Latino Public Broadcasting. And as I understand it, when you were putting the idea together, it was almost too huge. <laughs> and you had to squish it down. Yes, same idea. Same idea, and it's interesting you bring that up because I'm, I'm thinking about that project now because with the current project, it's already, there's so many interesting possible stories and characters to follow. Right. And I'm like realizing, wait, you can't tell everybody's story. Right. <laughs> but they're like your, they're but, like your babies. Yes. And... You say, well, I can't, I can't get rid of this one. i got to keep it. Yeah. And it's hard. It is hard. So I came back to Indiana, and um, I realized what I really needed to pragmatically put forth a proposal to him was I needed to find somebody to work with. Uh, huh. Because I'm not a one-man show. I mean, filmmaking, unless you're a... I mean, there are some people who are capable of you know, shooting, editing, directing, producing, uh, but that's not... Finding the money. Finding the money. That's, that's not me, and that's not the fun part of it for me. I like working with a team. I so what are the things you do? Directing, producing, yeah. raising the money, um, having the vision, interviewing. So you're not cranking the camera. I mean, I'll do some of it when I yeah. have to, and on all my projects, I've ended up shooting some of my own stuff. Yeah. Sometimes because I couldn't afford to pay somebody, sometimes because... They were in intimate situations where it was best that it was just me. Right. You know, it's a craft. And when you're doing um, a film and if you have the funding or you have the team of people who are, you know, specialists or craftsmen in uh, 
cinematography or editing. Editing, I definitely don't do. I don't have the patience for it. Mm -hmm. During the pandemic, I did learn the rudimentary editing, which was useful, but I don't want to be an editor. I love working with editors. I love working with editors. It's one of my favorite aspects of the work. So I had to find somebody to work with. But then something serendipitous happened. This old filmmaker friend from New York City calls me up one day. And uh, she doesn't know anybody there. And um, I forget, which town do you live in again? And I said, Bloomington. I'm like, yeah, that's it. <laughs> so uh, I meet up with her friend, Lisa, at Morgan Stearns, by the way. Where we are right now. Where we way. are right now. And listeners, uh, you might hear some people talking. We are in the cafe. Go ahead. Yes. We start talking and we get to know each other. And uh, I tell her what I'm doing. I'm the marketing director here at the bookstore, but also on the side. I'm trying to start a new project about this quirky little rural town nearby. But I need to find somebody to work with. And she says to me, you know, there's this really nice guy that walks the dog uh, across the street from me, like every morning. And uh, yeah, do you want me to put you in touch? And I said, sure. And I'm thinking, you know, yeah, you know, everybody knows somebody who's we'll a filmmaker. We'll find out, yeah. But I give him a call. I look at I, I look up his his website and hmm, he's got experience you know he used to work for uh indiana public media wtiu uh-huh. he was a producer there he's now out on his own he's done some independent work seems like a nice guy i ring him up we end up meeting in the store after 20 minutes i realize this is the guy wow so you know i met my main production partner henry malone through a new york city Contact. It's like six degrees of Kevin it's Bacon. Here. Exactly. Yeah. It's always like that. And, you know, it's it, another interesting thing about Henry, and he won't mind me saying this, is that Henry is, a, um, is an openly gay man. Mm-hmm. And we are doing a project uh, uh, that's focusing, among other stories, but one of the main stories is about the you know, Pride Community Center. It turned out Henry had done a piece on that same place a few oh. years ago. And it's just been so interesting to work with him as we, you know, travel through the county. So after meeting Henry, I uh, went back to Peter and I said, uh, Peter, I found somebody that I can work with. You know, I can't do it myself. And also I have a day job these days. So I mean, I absolutely need to have a partner. And I think I found the right person. And um, I literally gave him a kind of back on the napkin pitch. I said, you know, I don't know the scope of this yet. I hear four or five characters or specific subjects that I think would add up to a really cool story that would tell the story of the revitalization of this place. I don't know the scope of it yet. I don't know if it'll be a feature film, if it's a series, but I think we should start. And uh, he wrote a check. And he wrote a check enough to get us started. Wow. Meaning that um, I could pay the person I was hiring, wow. you know, to work for two or three months to go to Owen County and do a series of interviews and spend time back in the editing room and look at the footage and edit a kind of teaser. So basically, Peter wrote a check to fund what I would call the research and development phase of a documentary. A month after he wrote the check, I got a text message from his uh, son-in-law that he passed away. And it was, uh, wow, it was moving. Yeah. Uh, I wasn't entirely 
shocking because I knew he was in declining health, but um, I realized how important he was to all of my work. And I don't mean just because he wrote checks. He, he never funded fully any of these projects, but he always started them because he believed in me. He had faith in me. He said, you can do this. And that was so important. And I lost that, and he was also a mentor. Anyway. Now, let's, let's talk about your work. Yeah. Now, way back in 2001, you founded a, an operation called Lacuma Films. Did I say it properly? You said it properly. Lacuma is uh, a Peruvian fruit. Oh. Named it because uh, the first feature documentary that I worked on, and that took me to Peru and where I met my wife and lived, is uh, where I first tasted lacuma. <laughs> and it's a very, very um, sort of important fruit for Peru. So what was that first film? The first film was called Soy Andina. That's at 2007. And, but it started in the year 2000. I can't believe it, 21 years ago already. Jeez. And it started because for the latter part of the 90s, I was working as marketing director for the Film Society of Lincoln Center. Yeah. Uh, the Lincoln Center, the New Lin York City. New York City, the Lincoln Center. Where big galas take place. Yes, yes. And throughout that period, you know, I, I wasn't a filmmaker, but I got to meet a lot of filmmakers and I helped promote a lot of their screenings and films. But one of my best friends during the 90s was uh, a Peruvian immigrant folk dancer named Nelida Silva. Nelida had a dream that someday she would go back to her hometown, this small town in the Andes, you could say like the Spencer of Peru, to host... But it's not 98% white, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, no, uh, not quite. Sort of the opposite. Yep. Um, it's mostly mestizo. But there actually are a few white people in that town. There are, uh, there's, a, there's a church in the town that uh, has a, a, an Italian padre. In fact, when I was in the town and I spent a lot of the time in the town, people just assumed, you know, I was a member of the church. I'm a Jewish guy from New York. I really did not. <laughs> so you didn't convert. Okay. I didn't convert, but naturally they assumed I was part of that community. Anyway, um, I worked for the Film Society for six years. I got... I was always, lo I always loved documentaries and saw a lot of great documentaries. I met a lot of filmmakers and I really liked the community of filmmakers. Nelida told me that she was in fact going to return to her village to host the traditional festival of her village. And by that time I'd gotten to know a lot of Peruvians. I really liked their culture, I liked the people. And I thought maybe I could do some kind of story following her journey back to her hometown and kind of bring viewers into her world in a kind of personal way. I remember at that time seeing Buena Vista Social Club and I remember thinking, you know, Wim Wenders is an important filmmaker and he kind of follows the, you know, he, he discovers the old Cuban musicians and sort of takes the viewer into that world and it was a really good film and I thought to myself, maybe I can do like the Buena Vista Social Club for Peru. <laughs> And it's funny because I remember thinking back then the same thoughts that I have now. Now that I remember, I knew I couldn't do it myself. I mean, I had no technical production filmmaking experience. Oh. It's a team effort. I had to find people who I could work with. So you're a fixer, a put-together kind of a guy. That's you what a, put things together. That's what a producer does. Yeah. 
a producer puts the pieces together and I would say the director has the vision to tell a story. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like a lot of documentary filmmakers, we wear both hats. We're both putting the pieces together. We're putting the team together. We're raising the money. But we're also uh, telling a story and calling the final shots in the editing room. As you say, uh, Soy Andina 2007. You also did Return to the Andes 2019. You also did a, a short uh, in 2020 called The Earth Keepers. So you've, uh, you've put out a few films. You've got the old IMDb page going <laughs> on there. And as I mentioned earlier, New American Girls, which was a web series for Latino public broadcasting. On the Latino public broadcasting page, you're interviewed. Yes. The interviewer asked you a question, said, what advice do you have? for any aspiring filmmakers. And this is beautiful. Your answer, and I'm going to quote it, choose subjects that you can't stop thinking about and that you're really passionate about. But I love that. You can't stop thinking about it. That's Spencer for you right now, huh? Absolutely. I was... I didn't... And and Owen County, yes. Yes, I'm so glad you found that and brought that up. I was holding my breath a little bit, like, I hope I said something... (laughs) Smart. True. (laughs) Yes, and, you know, to add to that, and this is something I've been thinking about and even talking to my team about and my peers about now, is I said, the reason I'm doing this now is because I really enjoy spending time with these subjects and with the people I'm working with. You know, at the end of the day, I'm not one of those documentary filmmakers that really is trying to change the world and I certainly don't I'm I'm pragmatic enough to realize that it's you know except for a handful of us it's not going to make a living right although although it's important for me to uh, properly fund and pay for people's time and I'm doing that the main goal I realize is to scratch an itch and there's just a part of me that really enjoys talking to people and learning about people and spending time with the people that I'm doing the work with and about. And it's true for Spencer and it's true for Peru. And, and like I was saying to you before, I realized that Indiana has become my new Peru. <laughs> it's a place that I live in now, but I'm not from here. And I don't think I'll ever feel like I'm a Hoosier or I'm really... I'm not a lifelong right. Indiana guy, but I live here. I didn't parachute in here to make a story. And then leave. Right. And I have real relationships here. And yeah. the subjects are the people, for the most part, I have befriended. And I knew before I decided I wanted to tell their story. But I have that outside perspective. That's a good perspective. Which yeah. is, you know, I, I have a certain curiosity and an eye for noticing things that Maybe are just the everyday things, but that for me are seems quirky or new or interesting. Sometimes people who live in a place stop seeing the place, right? And it takes a newcomer with new, fresh eyes to see things. Yes, and the parallels between Indiana and Peru, because uh, another example is the people that I meet here, the, the subjects that I'm meeting, and in some cases interviewing seem to sincerely appreciate and thank me for the opportunity to tell their story and that I have a, 
a positive take on who they are. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not coming in here to, you know, to look uh, at these funny rubes. Right. So people, I think, really genuinely from the heart, really appreciate and enjoy these interactions that we have together. They know that I'm sincerely interested in how they grew up and what they're doing now. I really am. And the Peruvians from the city in Peru or, or, you know, the people in the remote Andes would tell me the same thing. I was an outsider who liked them. (laughs) And people, it's kind of like a fundamental thing. People like talking about themselves and they appreciate when somebody sees the good in them. It took you about six or seven years to finish Soy and Dina. Yeah. How long is it going to take you to finish this this one? I can't take six or seven years. Yeah. It's not realistic, and I don't think it's necessary, in part because I think the format that we're moving towards for this project will be uh, a series of short, standalone episodes. Maybe they'll be even five or seven minutes. And they'll probably live, I'm sure they're going to live online someplace, maybe in a streaming service, maybe in a YouTube or other channel. Now, it doesn't mean that we can't show it, you know, in a theater or at film festivals. Collectively, we could put all the material together. But I say this partly because the way people are watching things now is, of course, so different. Most people are watching stuff online. They're watching shorter things. The nature of the stories that we're telling, I think, probably can be better told in a shorter format. In other words, we've got already, I don't know how many hours of footage we've already done, but it's very, very challenging to try to edit and put together a lot of stories of individual people. It's going to be easier and faster, and I think more accessible and more fun to see these stories as their own short episodes. Hmm. And I think it'll just take, it'll take less time to do. That's a very long-winded answer. (laughs) I think the better answer could be this. I think it's going to take us a year. We started in February 2022. And the um, idea was to follow the stories of different people, but particularly the Pride Community Center, through the year culminating in the fall of 2022, which is when the big Uh annual Pride Fest happens. Then we'll edit, although we've already started editing, so maybe we'll release an episode or two before the end of the year. But I think realistically, um, the first or second quarter of 2023 is when we would have a final series of polished episodes or a series. And I think my dream, and I, I feel like it's a pretty realistic dream, is to um, have a, a world premiere at the Tivoli Movie Theater. Oh, beautiful. Of course, it helps that one of our subjects is the Tivoli Movie Theater. <laughs> That'll help you. <laughs> now, if you're interested in Owen County, and you ought to be, because it is a place filled with uh, diverse cultures and lifestyles that you wouldn't expect in the middle of Indiana, Owen County and Spencer, Mitch Toplitsky, the documentary filmmaker, is working on a project. Mitch Toplitsky, thanks so much for being on Big Talk. Thank you, Mike. It's really been uh, a pleasure, and, and, and I'm a big fan of the show, actually. Oh, boy, oh, boy, I like you. <laughs>